friends. It's true, you know. Personal, local, global wellness. You may now begin the course. The emotional response to love. It's awfully important. Is usually the result of a Columbia family. A show of affection. Redefining what health means for you. And the real fundamental you, you, you. Well, if you'd like a place where there's never a dull moment, choose the right flavor of wellness for you. Syndacy Wellness hosts the personal, local, global wellness show. Hello and welcome everyone. We have incredible Jaden Graham joining us today. This is the Personal Local Global Wellness Show. I am your host, June Sindesi. And a little bit about the show. Today we have Jaden Graham joining us discussing how passion is a path to self-realization and how to handle confusion and not let it cripple you, but empower you. I'm your host, June Sindesi. A little bit about me. I'm a healthcare provider and practitioner at Sindesi Wellness, helping men and women move from emotional overwhelm, fatigue, and anxiety to a state of peace, calm, and comfort. I teach stress management skills paired with my trauma counseling practice. I'm also nutritionist, so I put together a lot of emotional eating programs and use nutrition analysis partnering with labs to test people's blood and microbiome. I personally used to try and heal the world before I healed myself, but I believe our personal healing ripples out, and that's why I named the show the Personal Local Global Wellness Show. That was a mouthful. So when you look us up on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Anchor, there's so many, I always forget. Um, There's a couple more we're on. that are just slipping my mind, Radio Public, you'll type in Syndesi Wellness, S-Y-N-D-E-S-I Wellness. You'll see a group of women sitting in a circle. That is our album cover, and you can subscribe, like, and comment. Um, At the top, it'll say Community Health because that is part of our mission as well. Well, without further ado, I'm so excited to introduce our incredible, incredible interviewee. And so tell me if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Jaden Graalham? Graalman. One more time. Graalman. Graalman. Okay, perfect. Um, So I have a great intro for him. And I always take my time to dive into it because I used to not introduce our guests because I think they introduce themselves so much more, but we're going to dive into his life story and what got him into doing this work. But a little bit of a preview. Jaden is an, a miracle worker and musician who represents the essence of transformation. I'm going to read that again because that's powerful. A miracle worker and musician who represents the essence of transformation. A miracle, as defined in the course, is a shift in perception. The world is mind projected. The people of the world endlessly and successfully attempt to solve problems by changing the projected image of mind, like sitting at the theater trying to change what's happening on the screen by pressing on the screen. Oh, I love that. Jaden works with the changing the projector which is the mind. And in doing so, inevitably and unfailingly 
shifting the projection, which is your life. This is what a miracle is. As we look to the core of our issues, where they truly reside in our minds, we find the solutions in the only place they can ever reside in our minds. In that, we find that the world we thought was cruel and scary turns out to be the most beautiful place we could have ever imagined. When we love, when you love your thoughts, you can't help but project that love onto everything you see and how it reflects back to you. In the transformation, we begin to see innocence and light in all things. And so this light begins to reflect back to us our true nature, our infinite and unconditional love. Jaden's new hip-hop album dropped today called The Grail Codes, Rhymes for Raising Consciousness, Volume 1. Um, comes out on all streaming platforms today. His music reflects and supports the work he does with people all over the world in raising their consciousness and bringing people to all relationships and peace, bringing peace to all relationships, raising their consciousness and bringing peace to all relationships. Find Jaden on Instagram at Jaden underscore Growlman and self-titled on all streaming platforms awesome wow so that gets me so excited just reading that (laughs) and my little dyslexic like nervousness of reading a paragraph but an amazing starting point uh so the is it the course in miracle that that you were referring to i cannot wait to ask you questions because i've been drawn to it myself but feeling like when i'm ready (laughs) and um Personally, for me too, they use the word Christ, and I've had to really heal a lot of charges I had around that word growing up Jewish in the South. But without further ado, I'd love to jump into your intro of how you like to describe yourself and your life history um, and any pain points along the way that led you to this journey of teaching and gathering these tools in your medicine bag. Thank you so much, June. It's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. It's an honor. So nice. please share whatever you'd like of your life history, of your childhood. I always love to share my own personal pain points of hair pulling and overeating and stories that really were the catalyst. Um, and, you know, the the characters in the play that taught me the lessons I needed to learn to start to grab my tools and navigate the world around me in a new way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'll start by saying like, there's this idea and I love this, this way of putting it. And it says, there's no new stressful thoughts. There's no new stressful thoughts. Nobody's invented any new ones since the beginning of time. All of the things that create suffering for us come from the same thoughts. And there's, you know, there's no new ones. It's, they're the same for all of us. And so I always say the form of suffering is different for everybody, but the content is the same. So, you know, you can look at my story and, and see the form of the, uh, suffering that, you know, it's like, what's the purpose of everything in this world is to lead to its opposite. So, you know, how do you learn about freedom? By experiencing suffering. How do you learn about abundance? By experiencing lack. How do you learn about power? By feeling disempowered. It's like, that's the nature of this world is to learn by contrast. 
And um, so, you know, like, it's like you can look at, for example, in my, my uh, journey is like, I grew up um, with experiencing a lot of addiction in my family and just, um, yeah, trauma and, and fear and, um, uh, you know, all, all through addiction, which addiction is nothing but, you know, believing our stressful thoughts and then acting from a place that we don't know how to work with that level. Uh, and then we go to the outside world to try to fix it. So we go to drugs, we go to alcohol, we go to food, we go to sex, we go to, um, credit cards, whatever we go to, we go out there, we go, Oh, I'm feeling really bad in here. So I'm going to go out there and try to figure it out because we innocently have not been taught another way to go, Oh, let's go to the source of the problem. So for me, it's been like lifelong patterns of wanting to make sure other people are happy. Uh, and you know, not, uh, not being myself or feeling like I need to be more than what I am right now in order to be good enough, in order to love myself. Um, and those patterns weaving in through relationships, uh, and that just creating so much suffering that it leads, led me to go to, uh, start to question what I believe, question the thoughts, um, and beliefs that would, would create, um, actions that are always going outside of myself to solve the problem. So that, that looked like for me, it's, um, you know, sexual fantasy and, um, shame around sexuality and, um, you know, growing up watching porn and then, um, you know, having fantasies even, even within my own relationship and feeling, uh, shame about that. And that bringing up so much, um, self-hate, uh, pain, guilt, shame, all of it only to realize that the only reason people do anything is to feel good. People want to feel good. It's all they want. They want to relieve themselves from suffering and feel good. And so no matter what form it takes, uh, you know, whether that's someone dominating another person or stealing or um, whatever the form it takes, it's like that person wants to feel either powerful, loved, uh, connected. It's all anyone wants. And so that's when we can start to see at the core level of all things is innocence because it is innocent to want to feel good. It's innocent to want to feel powerful. It's innocent to want to feel love, but people have not been taught um, that none of those things can be achieved with anything in this world. <laughs> you know, it's like anytime you go to try to feel powerful in this world, you are looking in the wrong direction. It's like you're looking in the only place where power is not, which is outside. You know, you're looking in the own and people, you know, want to feel innocent. So they'll do things for people, do more than they really want to do. Because it's like, I feel guilt, so guilty inside that I want to, I want to try to feel innocent. So I'm just going to do, do, do. I'm going to give, give, give. Uh, so I can perceive this sense of innocence that I don't believe I already have, or I can get this love that I don't believe I already have. And so the work that I do and, you know, in my journey has all been, okay, let, let me, uh, stop seeking for love and approval and appreciation and start finding it. You know, it's like what we look for, we lose. As soon as I look for it, it's gone because I'm looking, you know, that means I don't have it. It's not here. It's out there somewhere. So let me go try to find it. And I believe we attract the situations and the people that we need to in life 
to show us where we are not free. That's, that's all that's ever happening. We're just attracting ourselves to the people and the situations to reflect to us where we're not free, where we're holding on to beliefs that aren't true so that we can become aware of them and uh, free ourselves. And that's the journey of, you know, from uh, powerlessness to power, from suffering to freedom. And so that's what I'm really excited about. So powerful. Thank you so much for going there. I mean, I never know where people will have owned their story enough to take themselves in their intro. But when it comes to what makes my heart beat, which is syndacy, which is connecting, I think what's really excited about what I'm really excited about talking to someone like you is that you can see the micro and the macro, the illusion and the truth, and how you're like, they're all just stories or, you know, like I would say like a play that was put on for my life to learn certain lessons, but I felt I really wanted to just have a connection network that I had this business plans, many presented to do of having a bunch of different wellness practitioners and believing that there's not just one flavor of wellness to find relief. And um, then I realized my strength is not in operating in an online digital operations <laughs> management, but like one-on-one and having a private practice. So this is how I get that need met because I think just these simple little connection points of your story around porn, around people-pleasing, around addiction, someone will feel and vibrate to, or even just the essence that you portray, and it will help them feel a little more comfortable to not feel alone and reach out and connect um, rather than my flavoring and coloring and ingredients maybe there isn't as much of a connection point for people to start with and so i really honor you and in reverent in reverence and in just feeling your transparency feeling your strength to show up here and share those things because i've had a lot of people asking me about people pleasing and so i love how you went into that and sex and Porn, which is even a hard word. I've had to change the word sex in my own journey to like co-creation time or my creative center um, because I had so much tied to that word. And I even just talking to you as a friend now, I'm like, what's a different word for porn that people could use when they're trying to navigate and resolve those sensitivities? You know, like um, I like the idea of sexual fantasy. Um, if you're open to it, maybe later in the interview or even now, like any advice you'd have to give to anyone. Um, a lot of my friends go to men's groups, you know, I, I know a lot of different people and, and they never want to talk about when they're struggling with, um, watching sexual behavior. Maybe I'll call it that <laughs> instead of porn. Cause it's such a charged word. Um, what you'd say to someone who's starting their path to engage with that um, that part of themselves that they might feel shame or anger around, um, if you have any stepping stones that they could start with? Yeah. Yeah, you know, for me, it's always about self-honesty. It's like one thing is, you know, where there is guilt or judgment, there's separation. And separation always feels like a loss of love. It always feels like pressure in the heart or the solar plexus or wherever the pressure and tension, it's always, you feel it in your body. 
and it feels like I don't feel like myself right now. And if you feel that, it's always a result of judgment. And so, you know, we judge and we separate from. When we discern, we go, is what I'm doing actually working for what I want to create? And then we can just be honest to go, okay, you know, one, you know, one thing, there's nothing wrong with, you know, sexual fantasies or watching porn. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, you just have to be honest that that's okay. You know, it's just, is it creating what you want? You know, if it is great, if not, then let's just be honest about it. I love that. Thank you. That's so my vibe. I love that you just said that because a lot of religious conditioning can create something horrible. But my other question is for young boys watching these women and having these ideas of what sex is and then not being able to investigate um, the experience for themselves. I didn't mean to cut you off though. No, that's good. Yeah. It's just, to me, it's, you know, self-honesty number one and, and, you know, like, um, uh, realizing you're innocent, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, You're just uh, exploring, uh, you know, having images in your mind and there's, that's just, that's just natural. Everyone experiences that. And so, um, uh, you know, it's okay to, to, to express that and talk about that and, and explore that and realize you're innocent in that. And this is the thing with innocence. I used to think, and still sometimes it comes up, if someone else tells me I'm innocent, then that's how I know I'm innocent. Oh, I'll express this to someone and they say, oh, it's okay, you know, you're innocent. I'll go, oh, now I can forgive myself. And what I realized is that, you know, my expression is not for other people's response. You know, I don't need someone else to forgive me in order for me to forgive me. Because I know if someone else doesn't forgive me and see my innocence, it's only because they don't see their own innocence. You know, I can't see your innocence until I see mine. It's not possible because you're my projection. You know, anything I think you're guilty of, I think I'm guilty of, and then I'm separate. You know, their separation begins. And that always feels like, not who, who and what we are. So it just, it just feels bad. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think of, you know, uh, just recognizing, okay, if I can see, you know, it's like when I don't see my own innocence, I separate myself from all of creation because all of creation is innocent. And if I can't see that for myself, I can't see it in you. I can't see it in anyone else. Totally. And we are here on a journey to recognize that in all things. And I always say, if you cannot see innocence in all things, your work is not done. I love it. Wow. And when I feel the word innocent, I see a child like, you know, four or five and the hand that she'll put on my, my cheek or it's this wonder, awe, curiosity, for me, when I feel that term, and there's such a difference, you know, when like images come up for me, like lay in bed, maybe arguing with my partner during the day or something, and then something comes over me and everything washes away and I'm, I'm receptive again and open and the forgiveness part comes into, mm-hmm. where do you find forgiveness in innocence? Same thing. You know, it's like forgiveness is the recognition of innocence. I love that. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you say innocence, like the image of innocence in like one archetype of that in the human mind is a child. And I, I, you know, my mind goes, 
you know, it's like, there's no symbol that doesn't represent innocence because, you know, I think, I think the murderer, ah, what do they want? They want to feel powerful. They want, um, there's something that they desire that they believe this action will get them. What it is that they desire is always innocent. The form it takes looks like the opposite. It looks like guilt. It looks like, um, uh, doing bad things because, you know, it's just, they don't know another way. They don't like, if you believe you're guilty, you will do anything in this world to prove it to yourself. It's just, we always want to prove to ourselves what we believe about ourselves and life will always reflect back to us what we most strongly believe is true about ourselves. And so when somebody believes that they're bad, wrong, or guilty at the core, then they will attract situations, circumstances, and do things to prove that belief to themselves. Cause that's what beliefs do. They just perpetuate themselves. And at the core of that is innocence. So, you know, it's like, I see innocence in the face of a child, a murderer, a pedophile, a, um, uh, you know, someone who, you know, is beat somebody up in third grade, you know, an abusive parent, uh, a, a non-abusive parent. It's, it's at the core of everything. And if we can't see it, you know, like I always say, when we judge someone, we, the only reason we judge them, you know, for a murderer, for example, I can't see innocence in a murderer. That's a bad thing. Well, I'll tell you the only reason why we would judge someone for murdering is because we have had that experience before, even if only in our mind. We know the energies involved in murder, every single one of us, because I can guarantee you anyone watching this show probably has had murderous thoughts within the last you know, four weeks. Even if it was just for a split second and they didn't dwell on it at all, they know the energies involved. And somebody who would act on that is so confused and so lost in their mind and believing thoughts that aren't true, that it will cause them to go and act out these, this confused state. And so whether you dwell on it for a split second or you actually act it out, all of us know the energies involved. And so when I judge you and say you're wrong and bad, what I'm saying is that thought that I had for a split second is wrong and bad. And I don't want to love that part of myself. So I can't love you. And I separate and we put people in jails and they're wrong and bad. And we put them in this other section of society that's not connected to everything else. And there's no re rehabilitation and there's no recognition of innocence. Uh, and that's how we just continue perpetuating separation. Uh, and we actually perpetuate murder and rape and all of these things that seem so intense and bad because we can't see where it's coming from and we can't recognize that person as innocent. So they can't recognize it in themselves. Not to say that they can't, but it's less likely. Powerful. So incredibly inspiring. I mean, and the work that's done in terms of counseling and therapy in the jails is some of the most profound work, you know, in terms of the trauma certifications and things that I'm doing. I just finished one and really taking the client from internal attribution to external attribution is part of the work. And when you're a child and your father is invading you in a way that doesn't feel natural, I must be bad. And then you continue to stick with that your whole life. I spoke to a woman who was 450 pounds and um, she didn't feel like she could ever find love um, because she was connected to that inner child so deeply. 
Um, but then when she got her own child, lost the weight and also felt that she wanted to model beauty and love and was able to shift a lot of those belief systems. So have you done some inner child work with your clients as well to help them kind of figure out where it comes from or whatever model you use? Because would you say that a lot of people, it's from a very innocent part of them that they put the blame on themselves and they become bad? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's looking at what what do I believe about myself based on what happened? Because you know, it's like, I was just looking at, because the root, it's like we said in the, you know, the title in the inter- interview, the root of all suffering is confusion. And I believe confusion, I define confusion as an argument with reality. You know, it's like reality, you know, I, I love Byron Katie exchanges the words reality and God, because reality rules. It is what it is. You know, you can think it should be different all you want, but it doesn't wait for you to, it doesn't wait for you. It just is what it is. And, you know, it's like someone could come here and slap me on the face. And for that split second where the hand went across my face, that could feel pain in that moment. And then after they slap me, it's over. And I tell the story about how they slap me and what that means about them and what that means about me. And then I see them slapping me again over and over and over. And I replay that scene in my mind and it happens again and again and again. And they slap me once. I slap me in my mind 10,000 times a day. And the suffering today comes from my beliefs and perceptions based on the slap, not the slap itself. So all trauma abuse is, is the same. You know, the, the instant there is an experience and then directly after that experience, there's a story and the story in the now creates the suffering not the experience. Because if the experience is what created the suffering, there's no hope for anyone. You know, it's like Course in Miracles. I, it's not not a direct quote, but it says, if the cause of pain is in the past, then there is no hope for healing in the now. You know? Yes. And, and that's what a lot of people have been asking me to describe what's trauma because it's thrown around. And that's what I've been saying. And my teachers will say as well that it's not the event, but the meaning making we take from the event, as well as if we dissociate at the time of the event. Um, that also is not always helpful. But I love that you're using the word confusion, um, that the root of all suffering is confusion, how to dispel it. Um, and you're expanding on that now. And so it's when people are at odds with reality, but they can resolve it. Yeah. And no longer be confused. Yeah. It's like, you know, as soon as I think reality is the source of my problem, I'm confused and, you know, it's hopeless. There's no hope for healing. And when I realize that I am the source of my problem, it's the best news in the world because I can change that. You know, it's good news. When I realize I'm my problem, oh my God, hallelujah. I have a solution, you know, question what I believe. And on the other side of that is always a clearer, kinder, more forgiving, more loving human being. And it's a beautiful thing. Cause then there's the victimhood and that, you know, everything's against me and that it's stronger than me rather than <laughs> being the master of our, our own self and reality. 
I mean, so exciting. I mean, the depth, the verbiage, um, the eloquence, the poetic nature of your work is just, it's almost trance-like. This is an energy for me today, trance and alpha state. The words and the the way that um, you cycle us through your process is it's very calming for my system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very exciting. Um, so more of our questions from our preparation for the interview. Um, <laughs> when you help your clients, you help them see the virtue and process of seeing their passion as a path for self-realization. Have you experienced this personally? And how would you describe this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to use this idea called the law of opposites. And it's law of opposites says, when I act on my joy, when I act on my passion, everything that's not my joy and not my passion has to show up. Because, you know, it's like, we are on, we talked about polarity in the beginning of the episode. It's like, if I want to learn who I am, how do I learn who I am? I got to learn who I'm not. That's the only way because it's just the polarity. It's like, if, if I already knew who I was, I, I can't know who I am. This is, I cannot know who I am unless I know who I'm not. It's not even possible, you know, because there's nothing to compare it to. Right. So how do I learn who I am by learning who I'm not? So, you know, what is the, what is the nature of what I actually am? What is the essence of my spirit and soul? I would say it would be what you are excited about, what you are passionate about. And I like to use this analogy. Um, and if anybody watching has ever seen the uh, cymatics, where you have the sand on a vibration plate, and as the vibration raises, the sand forms into different geometrical patterns. And when the vibration goes higher and higher, those patterns become more complex um, and more interesting to look at. And I think of each, you know, uh, each individual spark of light. That's how I see each of us is we're individuated sparks of light. We're sunbeams to the sun, you know, unique expressions of the source. And, you know, it's like each unique expression is like a snowflake, right? It has its own essence that's completely unique and all coming from the same source. And so if you think of that unique vibration or geometry that each one of us has, it is, if you think of that as a white light at the center of your heart, it's like my unique essence is this pure white light at the center of my heart that has a specific sound, a specific geometry. And that in this physicalized reality, this holographic reality that's a projection of my own mind the things that i'm drawn to most the kind of music the type of people the uh, experiences the adventures the everything that i'm drawn to most is uh, closely related or it's harmonized vibrationally with this white light at the center of my heart that's why i'm drawn to it because it's like a similar vibration like attracts like you know, it's like the nature of the universe. And so the reason why I'm attracted to the music I like, the reason why I'm attracted to um, the kind of experiences and, and teachings and books and all the things that I enjoy, it's because they're very similar energetically to my core 
signature frequency. It's like a same vibration. And so how do I learn who I am if I don't know? I actually follow that thread of joy, passion, and excitement. And in that following, everything that is not representative of that true core signature frequency has to show up so that I can realize that it's not who I am, let it go. For example, you know, I might be following my path of passion in music. And if I take action on that passion and I uh, release an album for, per se, and as I go through that process, there are going to be things that come up within my mind that are actually um, opposing to who and what I actually am. So, you know, I might have a thought that says, oh, this creation is not good enough. This creation is not what other people will like. This creation is, uh, you know, I'm not capable of it. These kind of vibrations, these thoughts, these beliefs are actually opposite to who and what I am. And in order for me to realize who I am, they have to come up within my mind so I can realize it's like I can take my mind outside and go, oh, here are all the things that I believe that have nothing to do with me, that I've just picked up along the way from society, from my family, from schooling, that are completely opposite to what I am. So I can look at them and go, oh, none of these things make any sense. And as soon as you realize the beliefs don't make any sense, then you let them go. And then you continue on that path of passion. And if you didn't have the ability to look at what you were believing that wasn't true, you wouldn't be able to continue on the path of passion because where I'm going, the beliefs of I'm not capable, I'm not good enough, people won't like it, aren't compatible. They just don't match up. It's like me and where I'm going, the old fears can't, they don't jive with that reality. And so if I want the reality of who and what I really am, I have to look at everything that I believe about myself. And that's what the path of passion does. It reveals to you what you're buying into that is not true, that is has nothing to do with you and is not yours at all. And so that's what I love about passion is, you know, people think, oh, you know, I was acting on this thing that felt really exciting. And then all of these challenges and things came up. So I thought it was maybe I'm not on the wrong path or not on the right path. And I would say, well, it's the opposite. You're so much on the right path that everything that's not aligned with your true frequency is showing up, which is exactly what needs to happen. So the last thing I'll say, just to tie this in a bow, we call it uh, the game of the game. It's like, what if the reason why I was doing everything I was doing, what if the only reason was just to become aware of what I'm believing that's not true so I can look at it, realize it's not true, and let it go. Not for an outcome, not for a result, not for validation, not for approval, but just to know myself. I just Hey, I just want to know myself, so I'm just going to do things that I love so I can realize what I'm not. What if that was the only reason we did anything? It, it takes all the pressure away. It's like you don't have to get it right. You don't have to get it perfect. You don't need to achieve a certain result. You just need to look at what comes up. That's all. So powerful. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, I shared it when we were live. I didn't know if I shared it when we were live or before, but the fact that like, <laughs> it just wasn't working out the, um, there were so many roadblocks 
and it just wasn't gelling me wanting to open up this network of practitioners the way my private practice did and the circulation of just flow state that I feel with my private practice versus a private (laughs) or a a large network. And my partner also says like, maybe it's not going to look the way you think it is, but you'll still do that connecting work with network and referrals is my favorite type of thing to do. Um, or even case consultation. But I just love how you unpacked that because I feel in resonance to how you describe navigating through the world, which is I've always really struggled with certain religious doctrines and dogmas and just straight paths and structures because I think each person is so unique in their frequency. There's never going to be the same and that we all deserve to navigate our life the way that's best for us and I think you just so eloquently put it that way and so that others don't have to be hard on themselves and beat themselves up as they learn because that's all we're doing um so so profound and so exciting for anyone listening that it's not your fault that you're not messing up that you're right on time (laughs) very powerful very exciting I love that. Um, So I want to dive into more of our questions prepared. What are key concepts you weave into helping people with the art of relationship? A lot of your clients come to you with relationship issues with themselves, their own relationship. Maybe I'm even assuming their relationship with God. Um, I've, I've been interested in it's, uh, form of trauma and they like to name things in the field of like religious trauma you know especially if there's um religious leaders who have um exhibited sexual abuse and so someone's experience of the unfolding now and god and their divine connection is then tainted for a moment um i don't know if you help people with their relationship to the divine as well Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say, you know, it's like, that's the purpose of relationships. It's like my relationship will reflect back to me. It's like I said before, we attract the people in the situations to show us where we're not free, AKA connected to God or experientially, because we can never disconnect, but we can feel disconnected, you know? And so my relationships, every single one of them, but most, um, uh, predominantly the people I live with or the people I'm closest with will reflect back to me everything that I'm believing that would separate me from uh, uh, perceiving everyone is innocent and realizing I have no needs because God is needless. You know, it's like this thing that, that um, like the first illusion um, is that God has needs. God needs you to be a certain way in order for it to be happy. You know, it's like, hey, if you're not being a certain way, God's not going to be happy. You know, it contradicts what God is. It's all that is. You know, so it's like this idea of my relationship. I'm going to believe that I need my partner to be a certain way in order for me to be happy. And I'm going to believe in needs until I realize that they don't exist. It's this journey of awakening, you know, um, so my partner's going to reflect back to me where I'm disconnected from God. 
That's all that's going to happen. And so they're just going to be handing me the keys to heaven every single day. And if I'm aware of that, I can, you know, use that to my advantage. And if I'm not aware of it, I think I'll think my partner's the problem. I'll leave them. Then I'll go find the same issues in another partner and so on and so on and so on until I realize, oh, they're just reflecting back to me what I actually need to know in order to reconnect with my divinity, in order to reconnect with my needlessness. I don't need you to be a certain way in order for me to be whole, complete, and happy. And that is what Course in Miracles defines as a holy relationship. So that's really all we're navigating. You know, special relationships are, you know, defined as, let me seek within you what I believe I'm missing. I I don't believe I'm totally whole, so let me see if I can find it in you. And the ego's chief aim is I'm going to seek it and never find it. I'll seek love in you and we'll never find it. I'll seek wholeness in you and I'll never find it because it's not where it is. And so my relationships will keep reflecting back to me where I'm believing in lack, where I'm believing I'm not whole, where I'm believing I need reality to change in order for me to be happy so that I can realize that's not true and come back to my wholeness and my completeness and choose to be with someone because it excites me, not because I believe they're going to complete me. And know that, you know, it's like if you get to the place where if your partner doesn't want to be with you, you are okay with helping them pack their bags and say, I love you and I want the best for you and I don't need you, but I love to be with you and I choose to be with you. But if you want to go over there, I love you that much that I want to go. I want what you want, you know, and there's this, you know, the polarity of that is, is, you know, no, don't go because if you go, then I'm going to believe I'm lacking something and it can never be true, you know? So profound. I mean, what would you say for people who can't recognize they're in a relationship that no longer serves them? You know, some women are in abusive relationships. I do believe that all relationships are two-way, personally, because I've had a lot of girlfriends who've been in abusive relationships. And um, one of them who's out of abusive relationships said, oh, now that I think about it, I was kind of abusive too. It's an interesting word to throw around, abusive, (laughs) but um, that there were dynamics and charges that really weren't um, sustainable or beneficial. Yeah, this is so interesting. It's a funny thing with abuse because it's like there's this idea, and I'd love to break this down. There's this idea that I want to let go of what doesn't serve me. And in order to really truly unpack that, you have to define what level you're talking about of service. Because, you know, everything I hold on to, relationships, patterns, addictions, habits, everything I hold on to serves me in some way. It has to, or else I wouldn't hold on to it because that's what humans do. It's like, I'm always going to go in the direction of what I believe, keyword, serves me. What I believe serves me, I will hold on to. What I believe doesn't serve me, I won't. So when you say um, someone's in an abusive relationship and it doesn't serve them, I would say, well, it does serve them on some level or else they'd already be gone. You know, it's like, it serves me by reflecting back to me what I believe about myself. That's how it's serving me. So, you know, it's like I stay with the abusive partner because I'm abusive to myself and 
I haven't wanted to look at that yet. I haven't, I wanted to be honest with myself about where I actually hate myself because if I didn't, I'd be gone, you know? So it's like the relationship always serves us, but for what we actually need, not what we believe we want. Right. I'm so happy you unpacked that. Thank you. Yes. Yes. And this work is, you know, I, I use the words like expanding the capacity to feel. It's sensitizing work because a lot of us, you know, the lights are on, but nobody's home. Um, it works so hard to numb ourselves. When I would overeat, it was other sensations I wasn't used to um, feeling. So I would eat so much to hurt my stomach to feel a stronger feeling. And any advice you'd have for people who are just starting on the journey to sensitize, feel big things where, you know, it's in our minds easier to turn to something to numb, but there's always sometimes a consequence as well. You know, if, if I look at it from the perspective of God or like the, like the highest perspective I can perceive is like, we think we are in charge of when we look at our own stuff. You know, it's like, I'm just starting to dip my toes in the water. What can I do to look at my stuff more? What can I do to be more self-honest? And I say, there's nothing you can do. It just happens when it happens. You know, it's like, you're not in control of that. It's like, it will, you will look at your shit when you're good and ready. You know, if you're not ready, you just won't look and you can't be ready until you are. And so there's nothing you can do to speed that up. This just, it's like, you're ready when you're ready. You're not when you're not. And when you're not ready, you're not ready or else you'd be ready, you know? And when you're ready, there'll be nothing you can do to stop yourself from, uh, from looking, from being self-honest exactly. and you'll attract the situations and the people and the books and the webinars and the conversations, whatever you need to gain, gain the tools to look. This might be an example. I love it. I love it because what I'd say too, is if people are listening and they don't feel ready, it's not like they're not doing nothing in the meantime. And you know, one of my mentors there was a there was a time where I was doing a lot a lot of coaching therapy, deep retreats, and needed a moment to integrate because we think we're supposed to be at the mountaintop training in the <laughs> training room all the time and not come down and practice. And I and I kind of was telling her I don't know how many years ago I think I need a moment to just breathe and she's like Yeah you can't be in the deep end all the time treading water you need to go breathe and feel how your body feels now. <laughs> you know, in the shallow end, do some twirls. That's what I've been doing here in this pool, doing some twirls. Um, So I'd say all is valid, the work that we're doing. And I really love how you broke that down. And excited that the next question is part of the work that you do, how you describe unraveling the overstimulated nervous system. For those of our audience who don't know a lot about the nervous system and stimulation, would you like to also give us a brief you know, generalized overview. Yeah, really good. So this is, this is the thought that just came to my mind. It's like when you, it's like, there's another way to respond to what you think other than just believing it, because 
the nervous system gets wound up when we believe what we think that isn't true. And there's another way to respond to what you think, and that's to question it. And that's what I uh, share and teach. And that's what I do. Most of my work is inquiry, self-inquiry. And I use Byron Katie's questions. And I, I, I love that process of inquiry. It's like, you know, one of my greatest passions. And I would say that when you bring understanding to your thoughts, it's like, you don't let go of thoughts. They let you, you meet them with understanding and they let go of you. You can't, you can't let go of thoughts that are negative. You meet them with understanding and they let go of you. It's like, we don't choose what we think. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here and, and I, you know, you ever wake up and my partner's making a smoothie. I don't know if that's super loud or not. Is it? Not. Okay. Um, there it it's, like, <laughs> it's like, you know, if you wake up in the morning, have you ever woke up and thought, you know what? I think I won't think today. It's like, it's too late. You're already thinking. And thoughts just appear. They're like clouds in the sky. You know, the, they come to pass, not to stay. And there's nothing personal about thoughts. They just arise and we either attach to them or we question them. And, you know, it's like we never get angry at raindrops because raindrops aren't personal. They're just, they just come. And same way with thoughts. You know, there's nothing personal about them. They just come and they arise within your mind and you either attach to them and believe them or you question them and realize they're not true and they let go of you. And so when you ask about the nervous system, I would say, if you do inquiry and, um, you know, I love talking about that process and, you know, it might not be for this interview, maybe it is. Uh, but if you do inquiry, um, your nervous system unravels itself. You don't do the unraveling. It just happens when you realize, when you realize yourself, you realize what you've been believing for years is not true. Unraveling, it's, it's done. And you can do obviously practices to support your nervous system like breath work and yoga and um you know nourishing food and and you know community well i'd love to go into inquiry yeah if you'd like to talk about the process yes so i don't know if anyone uh, watching is familiar with byron katie but i'm a big fan of byron katie's work and uh her work is uh, representative of four questions and you know, essentially the work is you, uh, you take, uh, stressful thoughts in your mind and you write them down on paper and then you question one thought at a time with, with four questions. And, you know, I I would say like the best way to, uh, understand the work is to experience it. So I can talk about the questions and the work and the inquiry, but you won't have an experience unless you actually question what you believe. And so I'll just give you an example. This is like a simple example. If I'm questioning the thought, um, if, you know, if I'm sitting with my partner and she's not listening to me and I have the thought, uh, my, my partner should listen to me. I'd be a lot happier if she would just listen. And I, I'm sitting with that one thought and I write that down. My partner should listen to me. And I write it down on paper. And I ask the first question. First question is, is it true? Is it true that my partner should listen to me? And, you know, my ego says, yeah, she should listen. And then the second question is, can I absolutely know, just a little bit deeper, can I absolutely know that it's true, that she should listen to me? 
And I sit with that and I go, well, can I absolutely know? And my ego goes, yes, I absolutely know that. (laughs) But it's all just about honest answers you know, it's like, I could look deeper into that and go, can I really know that that should, what should be happening? It's like, who needs my, who needs God when we've got my opinion, you know? And, and so I, I, you know, I answer the second question. Can I absolutely know that she should listen to me? Well, I can't know that she should. And the third question is, how do you react when you believe that thought? And this is internal cause and effect. How do I react when I believe that thought she should listen to me? Well, you know, I feel this pressure in my heart and I feel separate from her and I, I, you know, move away from her and I feel angry and upset. And then I go to eat food to cover that up. Like, you know, it's like internal cause and effect. I believe the thought and then all of these effects occur. So that's the third question. How do you react when you believe that thought? Fourth question is, who would you be if you couldn't believe that thought? So that's, you know, it's like a parallel universe. Who could I be sitting with my partner without the thought she should listen to me when she's not listening? Oh, you know, I, you know, most people say answer to that question is I'd be free. Yeah. I'd be at peace. I'd be connected. I'd be. And so I go, okay, with the thought there's suffering without it, there's freedom. So where's the problem? Is it my partner or is it my thinking? Because what I'm learning is that when I believe that thought, I'm you know, upset and without it, I'm free. So I'm realizing the source of my issue is, is not even the thought, but it's that I believe it to be true. So who would I be without that thought? I'd be free. And then you start to do the turnarounds and that's the fifth part of inquiry. It's, you know, um, you know, my thought, original thought is my partner should listen to me. And I always work on one thought at a time, not a group of thoughts. You know, the mind can go in circles, one thought. I write it down and I question it. And, you know, it's like, and then you look at the turnarounds. My partner should listen to me. Well, what's the opposite? What's one opposite? Well, I should listen to my partner. You know, am I a master of listening yet? You know, do I listen to my partner 100% of the time? You know, because often we think other people should be able to do what we don't know how to do. You know, it was like, once you know how to listen to other people 100% of the time, then you can teach listening until then, you know, like hold off, you know? So like, give me three examples of where I don't listen to my partner. Oh, you know, all the time I can find it everywhere, you know? Uh, And then you can look at some of the other turnarounds. My partner doesn't listen to me. I don't listen to me. I don't listen to me. Three examples of where I don't listen to me. You know, it's like when I uh, want to change my eating patterns and I don't, when I, uh, 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 you know, want to do this certain career path and I don't do it, you know, it's like all day, every day, I'm not listening to me most of the time. And yet I think she should be able to do it all the time, you know? So you can look at the turnarounds. And so that's an example of inquiry. What a powerful example. I love that you went there. Yeah. And, you know, you can take that to anything across the board, you know, from the deepest wounds and trauma and pain of like what you're thinking and believing to, you know, simple relationship things. It's like, they're all the same. The source of suffering is the same is my argument with reality. It's like, you know, I argue with reality and I lose, but only a hundred percent of the time. 
Amazing. You know, it's like, it's like trying to teach a cat to bark and you know, you can do it for the rest of your life. And the cat's just going to look at you and say, meow. And yet we think thoughts like that a hundred times per day. You know, the, the line at the grocery store should move quicker. Um, I should be more successful. I should be prettier. I should be thinner. Uh, you know, I should be further along. It's like, what's reality? You're not. So where's the suffering other than the thought that you should be? Yeah. And the relief, I mean, when you talk about dismantling this argument with reality and that unwinding the nervous system, the visceral physiological state change in the body, um, which is what's causing a lot of people pain, the irritation, you know, um, consult this morning someone was saying well i just feel like this overwhelming irritation all the time i just feel this heat and and so when you walked us through that example i could feel the relief immediately in the body yeah and when people are you know people are feeling tension and suffering and stress um you know i would say do the work on your mother do the work on your father do the work on your partner, do the work on, uh, your, um, the people you live with, do the work on your roommate. It's like, do the work on your sister, do the work on your brother. And you will find that you're not suffering anymore because you're believing what you think about all these things. And that is where suffering (laughs) occurs. Yeah. 10 years ago, when I started this training, a little less than 10 years ago, I had a master brain trainer look at me and say when you do this work your issues with your family will heal and i wanted to cuss him out right there like you have no idea what you're talking about who the fuck are you like rah you don't know what it's like but exactly what you're saying like i look forward to coming home now i look forward to loving up each of my parents and brothers now because it was in here and so he was right and I was wrong. <laughs> I'm really excited to end on this question because your album has dropped today. And I loved when you sent me this idea that music, it's the math. Music is the math of God. Can you explain this to us? And how it's, it's translated through your, you and your music and your process of being a songwriter or channeler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The way I think of it is that like all spiritual traditions, you know, religions like that, they all have a story of creation, right? There's every culture has a story of creation and all the ones that I've learned of start with a sound. You know, there's always a sound first. There's a word, there's ohm, there's the universe. Like the, the, the thing started with a sound, and the sound, like I say, uh, you know, the word music, if you break it apart, it's mu-sic. And so mu is an ancient abbreviation for mother and sick is an, is an abbreviation for science. So music is the mother of all science. So, you know, music, uh, tone, sound, vibration, frequency, uh, creates sacred geometry that's that's where it actually comes from geometry like music isn't created from geometry geometry is created from music 
And all understanding of reality comes from geometry. You know, light, which is reality itself, everything is made of light, is uh, uh, it's, it's a geometrical uh, pattern. You know, like uh, the, the story of creation that's based on the flower of life is there's the first circle, and the first circle is uh, the, the aspect of God, which is not aware of itself. Now, let's just see if we can get this, because it's, you know, if you can get it, it makes sense. It's like, if there was something that was infinite and completely unified, there's no reflection at all. So how can you know what you are if you have nothing to compare yourself to? You could, you know, there's nothing to compare. So there's no me and that there's no differentiation. There's just all one thing. And so that's the aspect of God that does not know itself. And that spark of infinite creation decides, I want to know myself. So that's when the, uh, the reflection is created and the two circles and there's like, Oh, now there's me and other, and it's still all me, but it's just a reflection of myself. It's like me and you. I can't know me unless I know you because if it was just me, there's nothing to compare myself to. But now that there's a you, I can start to learn what I am from a different perspective, right? I can start to see myself from outside of myself and I can look at it and explore it and see what it is. It's like, that's how God knows itself because it couldn't know itself without reflection. It's not possible. And so with that, you know, that circle separating into two circles, creates the two circles intersecting and that middle circle in between the two, they call the Vesca Pisces. And that geometry itself is the equation for light itself. And so that, that actual splitting off and that geometry is not only a metaphor, but literally the creation of light, which is, you know, in the Genesis, it says, God is like, let there be light, which means let there be reflection. Let me see myself from another perspective. And that all came from the word, the sound, the tone. And so when you look at levels of reality, you can look at physical reality. You can look at like the higher levels of mental, uh, spiritual reality where everything is more unified and everything at the higher you go up in reality, it's more unified and more unified until you're from the perspective of God, which there's no separation there. It's like, I think I'm separate from you in this reality. It's not really the case. That's the illusion of this reality. But the higher we go, the more we see that there's just one thing. And all of that, like the, the, the human body, for example, the, the nature of this planet, planet is all built from sacred geometry. You know, the, the, the spiral like the, the Nautilus shell, the galaxy, the arm and the finger and the arm and the hand, it's all built from a certain geometry. And that geometry is like music is what actually creates all of that. You know, so it's like there's 12 notes in music uh, in the Western system. There's 12 notes and the 13th note begins the next octave and the next cycle. When we look at the energetic centers of the body, there's 12 main chakras. And then the 13th would be the next octave of your reality, like your higher mind, a different level of who and what you actually are. And it goes infinitely in all directions. So it's like, you know, the piano, there's 12 notes and then the 12 notes repeat, but in a different octave. 
and then they repeat and then they repeat. And that's the same way in reality. And so it's all, everything's connected. And the, the thing that makes it all make sense is music. It's like the thing that separates this dimension from the next is 13 or 12 uh, actual uh, different frequencies that represent, uh, you know, the 12 chakras. And as we move higher up in consciousness, you know, we're experiencing reality from a completely different perspective, but it all comes from this kind of form that music creates. So that's all, that's a big thing to unpack. Oh, I love it. Well, if people are wondering the seven chakras, they used really see them along the spine, but we also have them here on our hands and our feet. Mm -hmm. Um, that would make one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Well, the, you know, the truth is there's chakras everywhere. That's what I was going to say. Because some people be like, where are the twelve? Yeah, some people don't know about the hands and the feet. Well, and the, like the, the 12 that I'm referring to is along the central channel. There's actually, actually chakras below the body that are inside the earth. Oh, please tell us what you mean by the 12. I shouldn't have. Yeah, it's along the central channel. And, you know, the root chakra, for example, is like the bottom of the seven, which we normally think of. But then there's a chakra below that that's actually inside of the earth. They call that the earth star chakra. I love uh, it. And, and even below that, you know, even co connected down into the center of the earth. And then there's, you know, chakras above the crown, the, uh, I forget what they call them. It doesn't really matter, but they, they keep going up and that 13 creates a cycle, like an one octave of your, uh, being this ego personality that is a separate self. But then the next level is like the higher mind and then the oversoul and there's 13 and 13 and 13 and it keeps going all the way up until it's completely unified. I love that. And sadly, I mean, 13 in the Western culture has kind of been an erased number. It has to do with yeah. the divine feminine as well, which yeah. um, is quite sad. 13 moons sometimes. So yeah. I'm really happy you went there because I really believe we each have a certain soul frequency. So mm -hmm. we shouldn't all be treated the same in terms of like how we should believe, think, or practice our connection to the divine. And when it comes to music, like my partner and I are a really good example of it. He is a genius and doesn't like when I say that, but an incredible painter, incredible painter. And he listens to Beethoven and Bach and a lot of classical music that I cannot stand. But for him, it's it's the, the frequency, it's the, the genius state. It's the, to me, it's the genius mind. Um, and I listen to a lot of blues and gospel and Jai Jai Jadesh Jai Gadesh is this beautiful woman who sings mantras and beloved child is like a favorite song I play on repeat. And he got in the shower because we like to shower together, and it's like. I don't know how you, you really like this song, right? And I'm like, yeah, do you? And he's like, I like the words, just sad. And a lot of people used to say the music that I like, not a lot, a couple, another one was like a genius like him, that is sad music. But to me, it's not, it's comforting, loving, you know, and someone might start and psychoanalyze me and say, I'm sad, but it actually cut, puts me into a, like a parasympathetic state of safety and 
gentleness and calmness. And so I think music is such a, a great example of, I believe we have different brain types and a lot of differences that should be honored and we should find Dr. Braverman's work who did a lot with Alzheimer's looked at, um, you know, acetylcholine, serotonin, dopamine, and GABA as four main governing neurotransmitters and how we each have a certain equilibrium. You know, you could be high dopamine and high GABA and your brain prefers to be in that state doing those kinds of activities. And I'm into the personalized interdisciplinary approach as you've said and i believe we're all connected but i do think we have differences that are special to us and so i love how you explained it with the math i don't know if i'm going to say it right music is the math of god because each of us are hearing and feeling and what i will add tonight's shabbat from the lineage i come from my dad's side that we've adopted from my my mom adopted as well Jewish culture on Shabbat, the second soul in Kabbalah, each Jewish letter has a number and each day has a certain frequency. And so to, to celebrate on the Saturday is very important. And one political ruler told anyone who practiced Sabbath on Saturday would be killed. So that sadly, when the Christian Jewish observance changed, but I think it's very similar per- personally. And there's this song, Shalom Alechem, that we sing on Shabbos when we light the candles and do all of the ritual. And I heard a rabbi say that certain prayer, certain levels of heaven in this like narrative of God, certain music can reach higher than prayer because of what is saying and spoken. Um, it's the song of the angels. And so I loved that because it was true that that kind of communication can communicate in a different way and to a different level. Shabbat's taking on the second soul. And so I was just thinking about that as you described it, that certain collaboration of notes and frequency can, can relate. And it's making me think about so many things now because, um, I am going to do a series I might interview you for called Earth Origins. It's my favorite thing to study, um, all of the different creation stories. And so in Mount Shasta, there's this idea of telos that, you know, the Lumerians translated into light form when, you know, Lumeria and Atlantis, they all went into the earth, but that those beings still exist there. And so, um, this idea of frequency and the shifts, uh, something was coming to me, but it just left me, I believe, I love, oh, here it is. So whales, in terms of um, spirit allies and spirit totems and spirit animals, carry the a certain frequency of the ancients, some say, of Lumerians. Um, and so I was thinking when you're talking about of this, how dolphins hear certain things that we can't. And there's just so many ways of communicating. And one of my elders, um, Sterling's <laughs> brother's wife, Daniela, I call her an elder to me because she talked about not being afraid of AI in terms of the idea that in South America, in a lot of different shaman, shamanic cultures, they're seeing the 3D and 5D because of the spiritual capabilities they've harnessed. 
And now in today's day and age, we're just going to be able to create holograms, which certain people can do if they do a certain amount of spiritual training, but in a more dense form, we're just taking the 5D to 3D for everyone without doing that training. And that made me feel so much better. But I had to tag on because it was such a depthful concept that you were unpacking. And I'm excited to feel the grail codes, your new album in my body and my partner, since we're very different in terms of, um, I think, how we relate to frequencies. (laughs) Thank you for today. Is there anything you'd like to add? Mm, Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And yeah, I'm just really grateful to connect in this way. So thank you. Thank you. Where can people find you and what services are you currently offering? Yeah. Yeah. So Instagram, good, good spot to find me. Just, you know, uh, check, check me out on Instagram, tune in there. Um, my record that I just released is available on all streaming platforms, just under my name, Jaden Grailman. Um, I do, uh, inquiry sessions. So, you know, it's like, if people are struggling with their relationships, with their health, with their business, with their relationship, with money, with their relationship, with their body, uh, you know, the, the process of inquiry is such a powerful way to return back to peace and, and follow the path of your passion. So those are the two sides of the coin for me is like, what's keeping me from being totally at peace now. So bringing peace to all my relationships. Um, and from that place of peace and self-realization, then it's an automatic direction in the, uh, in the path of my passion, which is the only thing that can really fulfill us is to be who and what we are. So I do inquiry sessions where we uh, dive in one-on-one um, and I do courses and things like that uh, on like learning how to facilitate inquiry for yourself and other people. Um, so yeah, you can find all of that just by tuning into my Instagram, uh, Jaden underscore Grailman. So yeah. And they can direct message you if they'd like to work with you. Yeah. Yeah, would love to hear from you. So thank you. This was awesome. Thank you so much. And the real fundamental you, you, you. Well, if you'd like a place where there's never a dull moment, choose the right flavor of wellness for you. Syndacy Wellness hosts the personal, local, global wellness show. 